we're going to jump pretty much right into this this morning. Um, we're going to spend a little time, um, just, just every now and then during the year, during the course of a year, I like to remind us of just some of the, the core things that we're about, some of the core things that we feel called to. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about one of those core values. One of those core values is discipleship. It's discipleship. And so I want to give you a brief kind of frame of reference of, of how we're going to approach this this morning. And then we're just going to look at a handful of verses together. Um, and then as we, we move into the, the second part of the message, um, I'm going to share just by way of reminder um, what water baptism is all about. Since we're preparing to have some water baptisms this afternoon, um, bringing just some real clarity for us of what it is and what it isn't. Um, so we can, we can celebrate together and, and understand it rightly. So that's where we're heading this morning. So, um, man, there's, there's three or four men who've been just central figures in my life, probably even more than three or four, but three or four, especially in the faith, that have just really poured into me over the years. You know, and then there's, then there's the, the, the dead guys I've never met that I've read their books. You know, the A.W. Tozers and the C.S. Lewis's and like, I feel like they, I don't know if they want credit for my mess, but like they get some credit for influencing my life. And, and so one of the things I was thinking about this week as we talk about this is, you know, I'm grateful for things I've learned from people. I'm grateful for books that I've read that have been highly influential in my life. I'm grateful for sermons that have been preached that I've heard and received and, and chewed on, marinated on. Um, you know, one of the guys that's had a big influence in my life is Dr. Mark, Mark Rutland. I'm not sure he would remember my name, you know, if we met. He might remember my face. But I've just, I've heard him preach many times. I've gone to conferences he's done. I've, I've eaten up his stuff. But I don't feel like I could rightly call myself a disciple of Dr. Mark Rutland. But what I can tell you, if you were here last Sunday, is that someone like a Dave Buring, Pastor Dave Buring, who was here, Man, we know each other. I've, I've sat at many tables with him and shared a meal, and, and he's encouraged me, he's corrected me, he's called me out on stuff. There's, there's this exchange. And, and I've been in a position where I've received and learned from him, but there was this added element of relationship where he knows my stuff, and I can't, I can't hide, and I can't get away from that. We see each other face to face. And, and I say that to say, as we lean into this this morning, um, we, we may not always take advantage of this, but we have incredible resource and in in opportunity in our day and age to just feast on the Word of God. Like, not only is it incredible that I can freely carry around a Bible, it's on my phone, it's on my laptop, it's printed, I can get it in a bunch of different translations. Like, that's wonderful. I'm grateful that I can go online, subscribe to a podcast, watch a video live stream somewhere, and just absorb, you know, sermons or in-depth teachings by people. I'm grateful for that. Those are good, important things. Discipleship is about more than gleaning information. Discipleship is a process that we are invited into that requires the right information, but it also requires real relationship. And so 
I want to unpack this a little bit this morning. So we're going we're gonna to begin at the end of something. We're going to begin at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has done the teaching part, right? He's, he's explained all the stuff. He said all the things. People have just been soaking it in. You know, it starts in chapter 5, and now we're in chapter 7, and Jesus has just been pouring out this banquet of stuff. I can only imagine the folks there just trying to be sponges, soaking it all up. And so as he's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, we, we jump in, and here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he begins to tell us something crucial. This is a, this is a key part of being a disciple of Jesus. Verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, hears them, does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus speaks with a unique authority. He speaks with unique authority because not only does he speak the truth, he is the truth. It it emanates out of him. It's, It's a part of his very being. So he speaks truth and he is truth. And he has this unique authority because like he knows what he's talking about and he means what he says. And it is both deep and powerful and yet it's accessible. You could grab hold of it. You could sink your teeth into it. And so they were just in awe. And so I I just want to point out a couple things here. First of all, what's, what's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man, right? We're, we're pretty familiar with this. You guys heard this story before, right? With the, the house on the solid foundation, the rock, and the house on the sand. We're, we're familiar with this story, with this imagery. What's different between the two? What's the key piece that's missing? Obedience. The foolish man hears it. He doesn't act on it. A disciple of Jesus is not simply a person who receives God's word. A disciple of Jesus is someone who puts it into action. It's what a disciple is. I I plan on using what I'm learning. This isn't like a university student in a class just taking notes. It's, it's, it would be more relatable to a university student who's moving into the classes that are part of their major. Like, I'm actually going to use this stuff. <laughs> I don't know how much I'm going to use that math I was doing as I move into this career. Or I don't know how much of that, that language arts, English, paper writing I'm going to use as I move into this career. This is like the stuff that you're taking it in because you know I'm going to need this. I'm going to use this. A, a disciple is like an apprentice. You know, I don't just hang out with plumbers because I've always been curious to know more about plumbing. 
I hang out with a plumber when I got a pipe to fix. I need to use this information and put it into practice. So Jesus says this is the difference. The difference is the foolish man takes it in and doesn't do anything with it. Now, I just have to tell you that that should, that should be a warning to us. Because there's some similarities here too. You know, we highlight the differences. One does the stuff, one doesn't. You know what they both had in common? They both heard. They both heard. That means it's possible, maybe even likely at times, to regularly be in church, regularly hearing God's word spoken and not, and not be a disciple, not be a follower, not be an apprentice who's taking in what Jesus has to say in order to do something with it. And so, so that should be a warning for us. The other thing that I think is important, though, is that the people who hear at least have an opportunity to do there, there's a second warning in here besides just being willing to put into practice what we learn. The other thing that is essential is to hear Jesus' words. We live in a day and age where that cannot just be assumed that that's happening in church circles. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where instead of us trying to figure out how we can be made into his image, we like to create Jesus into our image, or at least the image we would like him to be. And it cannot be assumed that I'm just hearing about the real Jesus. Far too often, whether it's in sermons or in conversations or cute little Instagram posts or whatever it is, we just repackage these little nuggets that sound good. And it's like, but is that really Jesus? What did he say? What did he do? What's the full picture of him? Jesus is everything from radical forgiveness for the woman that was caught in sin and saying, nobody's got a, a stone to throw unless you're without sin. Guess who was left standing there? Jesus. Guess who didn't throw a stone? Jesus. But this is the same Jesus who turns around and goes into the temple and starts saying, guys, something's off here. And he's flipping over tables and running out money changers. And he didn't just lose his temper. He thoughtfully made a, a whip. He, he thought about it. He made it. He intended to go in there and set some things right. So it, it's important as a disciple to, to have this mentality of Jesus. I, I want a purpose to do what you have to say. I want to follow you. I want to put into practice these words of life that you're giving me. That's wisdom. That's, that's the way to, to a life that is meaningful, satisfying, impactful. It's a life that in this weird way gets us outside of ourselves. It invites us into selfless living and yet it satisfies the deepest hunger of our souls. And so 
we purpose to do what he says, to learn from him and apply it. But, but as equally as important, we position ourselves to hear accurately who he is, what he says, and to learn from him. The thing that was certain is that the rain and floods and winds were going to come. There wasn't like the extra house on the side that just had beautiful weather all the time. It was certain the storm was going to come. The question is, am I, am I willing to look at life honestly in reality and say, hey, life is good and life is hard. There are seasons of rejoicing and celebration and, and there are seasons where I'm just holding on by a thread. But the firm foundation is built upon who God is and who he calls us to be in him. In a real relationship, this is possible. So there's a, there's a reason I started where I did. If we stopped right there, we could just say, hey, so I just, I learned the stuff and do it. But that's not the full story of discipleship. Look how Jesus started this entire dialogue of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go back now to chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. How he begins is just as crucial as how he ends. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Watch this. Seeing the crowds, right? Big group of people. He's got people who are hungry and ready to hear. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Is that how you've pictured the Sermon on the Mount? I've not often pictured it that way. I'm thinking the way I would think if I'm speaking to a large group of people and I don't have a microphone. Like, how are we positioning everybody? You know, maybe we need an amphitheater-type atmosphere where, where they're all sitting like this, and I'm down here and projecting up and it kind of everybody can hear. Or maybe I'm standing up tall where everybody can hear me and they're down there. No, that's not the picture that's given. Jesus sees the crowd and invites them in for an intimate conversation. Who drew near to him? The disciples. And they sat and they talked and he shared these words of life. Discipleship involves community. It is, it is an essential element of it. Because in community, there's cool things. We get to know each other. We love each other. We support each other. We encourage each other. We help each other. The other reason that it's important is because in community, you see the ugly side. Anybody ever been in a home group or a life group or a discipleship group long enough to get kind of tired of it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would never want to like start naming names or anything, but like you've had those moments where it's like, man, I'm just, I'm just kind of over this group, man. This is tough. You know, we, we love life groups here. We talk about them. We celebrate them. You know, we work pretty hard for them to be as healthy as they can be, but you know what they're filled up with? A bunch of imperfect people. You know what happens when you get a bunch of imperfect people together? We get frustrated with each other. We get under each other's skin. We rub each other the wrong way. You know, that passage about ironing, sharpening iron, right, just sounds awesome. Man, let's just sharpen up that sword. We're ready to fight. Do you, do you think about what that process actually is like? 
I'm going to take something coarse and rough and, and slam across it a bunch of times so sparks fly and it rubs off my rough edges. Ouch! That hurts. But it's good and it's necessary and it's beneficial. Part of what was powerful about Jesus' relationship with the disciples was the little in-between moments. You know, we've got pictures of some of them. There's a lot of them we don't know. In community, you, you find this needed sense of connectedness and acceptance, especially because in God's community, it's family. So it lasts. But additionally, your rough edges get sharpened and you sharpen other people's. Because in community, you can't hide. In community, you can't hide. And so these are some essential elements of discipleship. Coming with the mentality of, you know, a, a disciple is a lot different than, than the crowd. The crowd can know all about Jesus. They could even tell you their favorite sermon he preached. They could even tell you the miracle they got to see. But there's a difference between being in that crowd and observing Jesus and being aware of him and hearing his words and being a disciple who says, I'm not only going to hear what he has to say, I'm going to do something with it. And I'm not only going to watch him from afar, I'm going to draw near and know him. See, part of why he gives us each other to be in community and, and do discipleship together, it puts like some flesh and bone on it. But like if, like if I'm in a discipleship relationship with somebody, I've got people I've spent several years with even pouring into their life and, and they're definitely impacting me back. I mean, there's a thing that happens there. My goal isn't to help them be disciples of Jake Spencer. This church does not need to become a bunch of Jake Spencers walking around Knoxville. One is plenty. Maybe even too much, I don't know. One is plenty. Alex always amends this point. <laughs> um, listen, li one's enough. <laughs> We're disciples of Jesus. Paul said, follow me to become a disciple of Paul. No, in fact, he, he talked against that. We don't need somebody following Apollos and Peter and Paul. We're following Jesus. He gives us each other because it puts flesh and bone on it, but... But if you, are, if you are in a relationship where you're an influencer, you're discipling someone else. Because by the way, part of being a disciple isn't just being poured into. A disciple intends to give away what they're learning. True discipleship involves both your own life and you passing some stuff on. And so if we're in that kind of relationship, we're passing something on, we're not trying to get them to follow us. We're helping hand them over to him. We're helping to make that connection so then when the time's right, they can go out of our life or just maybe out of our Bible study group and we'll still know them for 20 years, but maybe even out of our life, maybe they can even move away. And you know what? They're all right because they know Jesus and they're a disciple of Jesus and they know him and they're learning from him and he talks to them and they talk to him and they intend to put into practice what he's teaching them. And so we've successfully handed them off into a relationship with Jesus. This stuff's crucial. Now, there's one more thing Jesus says, and this is, this is of utmost importance, all right? So I'm giving us a few elements here, okay? 
right? We hear the right stuff, like we hear the actual Jesus, not the one we make in our image, the actual Jesus. We intend to to do what he teaches us, and we're in real relationship, real relationship with other disciples, and ultimately, real relationship with him. The fourth piece is, is crucial as well. So it continues on. Everybody's gathered. They're sitting down. The disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know the central element to receiving the kingdom of heaven? Humility. Humility. Why? Because someone else is in charge. And that takes some humility. And you know what else takes some humility? It takes humility being in community and letting people see your real stuff. That takes humility. It's risky. Humility and courage are like this. I don't know if y'all know that. You know, I used to think of humility as kind of one of those weaker words, like gentleness, that none of us guys really want to aspire to be. You know, I read the through the Spirit, like that's not the one that leaps off the page at me. <laughs> gentleness is a good word too, but I'm getting off track. Humility, it's tied to courage. Real humility takes courage. It takes courage to be real and honest and vulnerable. It takes courage to say, I'm gonna trust and let you take the lead here instead of me having to have the reins all the time. It takes that in the small group setting and it takes that in kingdom living. Because let's remove some mystery. Y'all probably heard the word kingdom of God a lot. You know what that is? It's the place where he's the king and you're not. That's it. That's what the kingdom is. He's the king and the rest of us are the dumb. King dumb. I had to work in a cheesy pastor joke. Okay. That's it. Where we humbly say, God, I'll follow you. You can be in charge. God, I'll humbly come alongside these other people and be real and honest and vulnerable and Maybe I'll even assume that I'm not at this group to teach all of them or show them what I've figured out or what I know, but maybe they've got something to offer. Maybe there's something I need to receive. Maybe there's some honesty I need to bring. And so these are elements of discipleship. I I don't really care what the model is that you walk this out in. You know, here at least our most intentional form of discipleship is happening in our life group settings. But the reality is, as a disciple, it's about living on purpose. And so, so really, all of our relationships are disciple relationships if we're a disciple of Jesus. Because in reality, the people that I'm around are rubbing off on me and influencing me, and I have people I'm called to influence. Do we have any parents in the room? Just raise your hand, wave at me. I'm pretty sure we have a few because I see the evidence all around. All right? Yeah. Guess what? You're in a discipleship relationship. Are you intentionally being a disciple? Are your kids learning the words of Jesus? Are they watching you live the words of Jesus? Are they aware that you have a real relationship with Jesus? I'm all for correcting our kids and teaching them, but have they ever seen you be humble? Say, I messed up. Sorry. See, we, we bring this stuff into any of those relationships that we have. You got a spouse, you got a roommate, you got neighbors, you got coworkers, you're in disciple relationships. 
be intentional. This is, this is the heart of the gospel. This is a core element for us as a church. Now, last thing, um, Jesus, you know, he modeled all of this stuff. And Jesus, Jesus modeled this humility specifically at the very start of his ministry. And so let's, let's check this out. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. He's, he's launching his ministry, and there's this guy out there who's been just radically getting people's attention. John the Baptist is out there wearing camel hair and probably pretty smelly, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people, and people are just flocking to this guy. He's speaking words of truth and of life, and he's having a huge influence. And Jesus is about to launch his ministry, and you know what John the Baptist is more than happy to do? Pass that baton to Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. He says, in fact, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew who Jesus was. And, and he had a sense of like, this guy needs to be in charge. And that would be the natural thing to do, right? You're stepping on the scene. You want to have influence. The guy who's influencing right now is ready to say, hey, follow this guy. What a great approach. And you know what Jesus does? He humbles himself. Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John recognizes this is backwards, like you're the man. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus humbles himself and allows himself to be baptized. And so John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus chose to live his life in community. He wasn't traveling around like a lone ranger to all these places. He chose to live in community with tax collectors, with fishermen, and all the rest. He chose to live in community. He chose to live and lead in humility. He chose community. He chose humility. And look what Jesus received from the Father. He received identity and affirmation. As a disciple of Jesus, when we purpose to live life like this, we find out who we were really made to be. We find our true selves in him. A lot of us spend a lot of time trying to find that on the inside. A lot of us try to find that by figuring out who we are from something out here. But Jesus says, you can find who you truly are in me in my Father. It's where your true identity lies. And you know what you're going to receive from that Father when you discover your identity as a son or a daughter? You're going to get affirmation. You're going to get a dad who says, I'm pleased with you. I love you. I'm proud of you. This, this is what happens when we give ourselves to a life of discipleship, where we choose to hear his words, we choose to act upon them, 
We, we risk living in community. We decide to have some humility. And what we receive from God is our, our, our identity, who we were really made to be. And we find a loving father who's affirming us and saying, I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm with you. Listen, the risk I always feel when I share about this stuff, because I know, I know the human heart is prone to it, and I know many of our churches are full of teaching it, is this mentality of earning salvation and a legalistic lifestyle. That is not what Jesus is inviting us into. He loves us freely. He's forgiven us fully. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We just sang that this morning. His grace has been extended. The, the thing that happens when there's brokenness in the church is we, we can overcorrect or we can throw whole things out that are important. We don't live righteously to earn anything. We've just been saved out of something horrible and into something wonderful. And discipleship is how we learn to access this wonderful life God has for us. It's how we learn to access our true identity in him, how we learn to live in the freedom he has for us. See, when we're, when we're connected to God and in relationship with him, we're free from sin and we're free from the law. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so don't hear this as all the stuff I got to go do now. Hear Jesus' invitation to his disciples saying, hey, I'm heading up to that mountain. Y'all want to come in near? Sit around the campfire? Talk about life? Learn, grow, change? Live a life of meaning and value and purpose? Come on in. The water's fine. That's his invitation to us. Amen, church? Amen. All right. Well, I actually said a couple of these things just now. So I, I want to transition a little bit here to just talk to you guys about water baptism, okay? So water baptism. Water baptism is something we believe in. We believe it's important. We believe it's an act of obedience. I just want to talk briefly with you about it. So first of all, what water baptism isn't, all right? Water baptism is not what saves you. If you give your heart to Jesus and you accept him as your savior and God forbid you walk out of here into the parking lot and something happens and, and you die and you haven't been water baptized yet, you are all right. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're with Jesus. Salvation and baptism are tied together in some cool ways. But baptism is not what saves you. It is a commitment made in the heart, and it's something we confess with our mouths. Check this out. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Salvation is about a moment of acceptance, 
that leads to a lifetime of following Jesus. It's a moment of acceptance. God, God I, I am recognizing and acknowledging and believing in who you are. You are the unique Savior of the world. In fact, you've risen from the grave. I believe that about you. And I'm personally accepting you as my Savior. I'm accepting forgiveness from sin. I'm accepting that you've dealt with that, that I'm no longer separated from God, that I've been brought near. And so it's something that's purposed in our heart. We acknowledge it publicly. We confess it with our mouth. We're saved. End of story. And our lives now belong to him. Y'all with me? Yes? Okay. Not totally convinced there. I hope you're with me. <laughs> um, and so listen, he saves us from that old way of life, darkness, slave to sin, that was going to ultimately lead to death. And he saved us into new life, living in the light, experiencing freedom through Christ, receiving his spirit, living abundantly now and eternally with him forever. That's salvation. Got it? All right, now, what water baptism is, it is an outward sign of an inward change. Y'all got that? It's an outward sign of an inward change. It's a picture. First and foremost, it symbolizes something. You ever think about that? Like, why do we duck, dunk them, duck them, dunk them under the water and lift them back up? It's a picture. It's a picture of Jesus who died for us and rose again eternally. It's also a picture of you and I. We're dying to that old self and that, all, that old way of life, and we are risen in new life. We're a new creation in Jesus. It's a picture of that. So it, it's symbolic. It's this outward sign. Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what it's a picture of. Got it? So that's what it is. So why do we do it? Why do we do it? I'll give you two reasons. We do it out of obedience, and we do it as a declaration. All right? First of all, out of obedience. Um, now, we, we kind of see this, first of all, just modeled. Jesus was baptized. His disciples were baptized, and they baptized other people. Read through the book of Acts, and we see them baptizing folks along the way. So not only do we see it modeled, we're, just, we're told to do it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what the sermon was about this morning. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. So you're going to teach them. They're going to become disciples. They're going to be water baptized into this new life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then they're going to learn how to walk with me. They're going to observe, obey, other translations say. Obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Community, relationship. Y'all see it? Baptism is a key part of this. So we were told to baptize people. So we do it. Secondly, it's a declaration. I love this. this. This declaration is about knowing who I am and declaring it to everybody else. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, 
all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We could fill up the list there of the different things we may be apart from Christ. Yet all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member but many. Baptism is this picture of of who I belong to now and what I'm a part of. I belong to him. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. And like it or not, I belong to his family. So I'm in in with these people. (laughs) We're stuck with each other. I'm in. It's It's a form of declaration and identification. I'm his. He's mine. This is my family now. All right? That's, that's what water baptism is. That's why we do it. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with me okay? All right, a couple other just quick things. Um, so when we do it, when, when do we water baptize? We water baptize when someone is at the age that understanding allows and they are making a personal choice for salvation. There is not a chapter in, the ver- in a verse in the Bible that tells you what age that is. Different sections of Christianity have determined certain ages that seem appropriate. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying I don't think it's that rigid in the Scripture. And so, so where we as a church lean, um, especially if it's some of our younger, our younger ones in our midst, which some of them are being baptized today, we have good dialogue with parents, and parents prayerfully um, talk to their kids and talk to the Lord and just determine if they feel like the age seems right and seems appropriate, and they understand the decision they're making. And so I believe it's, it's unique to every, every kid and in each situation. And so when, when we know Jesus is our Savior and we're making that personal decision, man, let's not put a cap on that and say, no, sorry, you can't do that yet. You're ready you know who Jesus is. You've accepted him. Man, let's get baptized. And so that's, that's what we practice here. Um, and so we've baptized adults. We've baptized kids. And we'll do that again today. Um, now, what about infant baptism? All right, I, I know there's sections of Christianity that, that practice that. Here, here's what I will say. I believe specifically that baptism is directly tied to a personal decision that the individual knows they are making. I am making a declaration that I'm giving my life to Jesus, all right? That's, that's what I believe about water baptism. I believe in full immersion. That's what Jesus did. That's what his disciples did. That's what's been handed down to us. So we believe that. However, I'm not knocking christening. And, and we actually have a form of that that we do here. And so what we do is baby dedications. We see it in scripture. Parents would bring their children to Jesus and he'd pray a blessing over them. So that's what we do. And so we pray over our kids and we dedicate them to Jesus. And we definitely pray big time over the parents of those kids and dedicate them to Jesus. Oh, God, please help them be parents because <laughs> we need it. Um, but seriously, we, we, we partner with those families and say, man, we're praying and believing for your child from a young age on up to know Jesus and to walk with him, to grow up a part of God's family. And, and I believe that our kids are covered and, until they're at an age where they're accountable to make their own decision, all right? So that's how we walk that out. That's how we practice that. So um, um, if you guys are ever interested, 
um, to have your kids baby de- uh, have a baby dedication for your children, or we say baby dedication. I mean, they could be three, five, whatever. If you want your children dedicated, that's something we do. Um, we've done it on Sunday mornings, often on like a family Sunday like this. And, you know, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa can come out. And we can celebrate and pray a blessing. And, and then we all are looking at each other. I don't know if you know this or not, but when we do this, we're looking at each other and we're committing to pray for that family. We're committing to model for that child what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're saying, hey, we're in this together. Um, so that's, that's what we do. So y'all are welcome to do that. This afternoon, let me talk to you about this afternoon. I'll dismiss you guys. This afternoon, um, there, there are people that have already spent all morning out at the Cove Park, just down North Shore, about eight, 10 minutes-ish. Just down North Shore, uh, we rented the big pavilion there. We're near the lake. And so they're grilling burgers and dogs and brats. And we're hoping some of you guys brought some yummy sides and desserts to share. Um, and if you're hearing about this for the first time this morning, you can just come. It'd be awesome. So we're gonna have a church picnic out there together. And then we're gonna do water baptisms in the river. And we also have a family that's dedicating their children. So we're going to do a baby dedication out there as well. Um, so we're going to head out there basically when we say amen and, um, and spend the afternoon out there for as long as the rain will hold out. <laughs> um, I think we'll be done in the 1.30, 2 o'clock range, kind of noon to 1.30, noon to 2. And then obviously it's a park. I mean, everybody can stay and hang out and visit as much as you want. It's a great opportunity for us to connect as a church family, get to know each other, and then celebrate with some folks. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do things a little bit different. Normally, we allow time, 15, 20 minutes for everybody to kind of linger and visit and talk, and then after that, we start cleaning everything up. But so we can get over there and celebrate, um, we're going to start with cleanup right away. So if you want to jump in and you got a few minutes, you can help us. That's great. If not, you can head over to the park. They're there getting ready. Our plan is to start feeding people at noon, so you got, you got time to get over there. If you need to run by Publix or something and grab, grab something, you can do that really quick as well. So that wasn't meant to be a commercial for Publix. Kroger is nearby. <laughs> Target's around the corner. <laughs> anyway, all right. I should stop talking and pray now. That's the sign that, like, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> all right. Lord, we love you. Thank you, um, thank you for, for us getting to be in the family of God. Thank you that we get to be called your sons and daughters and that you really mean it, that you love us and you're for us and you're with us. Jesus, thank you that even, even some of these times when we talk about the importance of, of knowing like the full truth of the gospel and purposing to obey and things that can feel like they require a lot, Lord, I'm grateful that those are invitations into a wonderful life that you have to offer us. Thank you that you viewed it as worth the risk to be in community with people who would let you down, who would even deny you and betray you. But you decided that was worth it. It was worth it to love them. It was worth it to walk through life with them. It was worth it to lead with humility as a servant leader. It was worth it to be in community and to purpose to follow your father. And so, Jesus, we want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want to follow you. We want to learn what you have to say. We want to apply it. Give us courage to live in community and to have some humility as we do it. And, Lord, thank you for identity, for our identity as members of your family and for the love and affirmation that comes from you. 
God, thank you for these lives who are making a public declaration this afternoon. God, what a joy to get to witness that, to celebrate with them. And God, we just pray for, for those hearts to walk with you all the days of their life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.